Hello and welcome to the Team Defence Podcast. Today I'm joined by Major General Tom Coppinger-Sims, the Director of Military Digitisation for UK Strategic Commands. Tom, welcome. You are the MOD's Dig Director of Military Digitisation. Um, could you explain what that means in the context of the relatively newly formed uh, Strategic Command? Yeah, sure. And I mean, recognising that all of these things are changing and evolving pretty fast. Um, Strategic Command, as you probably know, was set up um, in in part of you know, its main jobs is to conduct what we would just call multi-domain integration. That is integrating across the warfighting domains of, of land, maritime and air, which we're very familiar with, but also the sort of new kids on the block, which is space and cyber. And while some of the detail on what we mean by integration is still being worked on, one of the uh, massive enablers of, of integration is clearly the way we communicate between those domains. Um, and the digital backbone that we are building in Defence Digital to connect up those different domains um, is an important part of that integration. And clearly, as it says in the title, Director Military Digitization, quite a big bit of my job is trying to understand what each of those domains, what each of the services, Army, Navy, Air Force and Strategic Command, what they need by way of um, digital backbone so that we can then connect them up, so that data can flow freely from one side of the battle space to the other, and so that we can extract the value from our data, um, whether we're fighting or just running the business of defence. So that's um, a very broad remit of technologies across operating environments and platforms. And how do you keep your own knowledge current in that in that sort of environment? Well, I think um, I mean I'm a I'm a generalist by background. I'm an instrument, so I'm not a I'm not a technologist by uh, by background. I'm geeking up as fast as I can, but uh, never never has the phrase "every day is a school day" been been more appropriate than in my case. So I spend I would. I would argue probably about a third of my time, certainly a quarter of my time, or a third of my time um, reading, learning, challenging, meeting new, very weird people, talking to different companies, different sectors, going to strange gatherings of digital folk and some very non-digital folk to try and understand new technologies, not really from not really from the point of view of a technologist, but really understanding what we can do with technologies. Um, and quite a lot of that for me is getting outside of defence um, into other bits of government or indeed just other bits of industry or academia to understand how they are using, how they're adopting, how they're exploiting technologies for their own purposes. And sometimes that gives me an idea about what we could do with that technology in defence. So I think there's, um, I don't think there is an organisation that isn't going through some form of digital transformation at the moment, but I, su I suspect very few will face the same sort of um, business as usual challenges the MOD does. Um, I know the phrase um, changing the tyres while the car is driving is often used, but um, specifically in the MOD's case where you're um, looking at maintaining a, an effective fighting force while building for future. Um, what sort of areas or, or sectors or or, or organizations do you look to to learn those sorts of lessons are there any specific ones you can that you do uh, see um, especially good practice or, or even you know maybe maybe not so good practice that you feel you can learn from yeah so it's uh, i think for any large organization particularly one with a sort of history behind it you know national treasure status 
that's what separates us from others. It's not necessarily the business of defense per se. I think a lot of big old organizations face exactly the same challenge of us. They're not only, um, you know, flying the plane and trying to fix the wing to, to, to change your metaphor, but a lot of people are emotionally invested in how that plane that they're flying is currently built to, to stretch the metaphor a bit. So there's a lot of emotional investment is in what defense is, what the army is, what the Navy is, what the Air Force is, and how they think of themselves, how they think of fighting. And therefore, continuing to deliver on sort of very important strategic outcomes for the country, whilst also not just um, trying to do things better, but also to think our way through to how we would do better things um, how we would fundamentally change our operating model, which is the digital transformation, you know, challenge. Um, that is really difficult. But I, I would say I think there's there's always a temptation in defence, probably in government um, and and probably in every sector, for people to say we are special, we are totally different from everybody else. My experience is the more you say we are different the more you say we are totally special, the more difficult it is to learn lessons from other people. And actually, when I go and talk to banks or to clothing companies or to the entertainment industry or to other bits of government departments, the astonishing thing for me is not how different we are, but actually how similar we are to the challenges that they face. And I guess, um, I mean, this is quite good for morale, too, because it's quite easy to, to sit inside the fence and think, oh, we're way behind, you know, we're way behind our adversaries or we're way behind banking or we're way behind prop tech or, you know, some other bit of industry. Actually, as I get out and talk to fellow sort of CDIOs or CISOs, you find that they're all facing exactly the same challenges. And one of the biggest sort of morale boosters to me early on when I started doing this was I'd go and speak to companies that I would regard as very digital, not least they make the stuff or they sell the software. And a real morale boost to me was actually talking to their people and find that although they build digital, they are still analog companies. They are still industrial age companies themselves. And they're trying to build brilliant software while simultaneously transforming themselves into an, into an information age company. Now, of course, that's not true of a small startup with, with five people or 50 people. But, but at a certain scale, it's very true of pretty much everywhere I've seen. Very good. And um, I think it's somebody that your particular role is effectively to be a, a military conscience for, for Charlie and the CIO team um, and a, an IT conscience for the frontline commands. Uh, do, do you see in that a, a gap of where we could be versus where we are? I appreciate you, you've, you've told us that uh, we're doing very well compared to uh, some other areas. But um, do you feel like uh, there is still um, a way to go? Yeah, I mean, to clarify, I, I I don't think we're doing very well compared with our areas. I'm just saying we're in it with the rest of them. You know, I, I find very few um, industries where they feel they've cracked it. And we certainly haven't cracked it. But I'm sort of quite relieved to find that we're, we're not quite as far behind as I thought we might be um, in comparison with some people, albeit the sort of cultural and behavioral um, issues in defence, like any sort of national treasure, are, are probably more profound than elsewhere. So there's a massive gap between where we are and where we could be. And again, just to use that language, 
um, that I mentioned earlier. I think we are learning with digital to do things better, to, to fight our current way of fighting, but with digital and therefore to fight better. But the real trick and the real challenge is to do better things and to rethink the way we fight, to rethink the way we compete, and indeed the, to rethink the way we conduct the department's business and to do that in a fundamentally different way that gives us much more competitive advantage over our uh, adversaries. Very good. So in terms of, obviously, in, in your current role, you'll see across various different uh, technologies, and I, and I know Charlie has his, uh, um, has, has his list of uh, game-changing technologies. Is there anything in there that, um, that you see as particularly exciting, you think really will change the game for, uh, you know, for defence and for the UK military? Well, so as, as I was probably just hinting at, I'm far more interested in game-changing adoption of technology rather than game-changing technology per se. You know, I'm a, I'm a sort of believer that until technology is in the hand of the user with a sense of how they want to fight with it, um, the technology itself isn't um, that helpful. You know, it, it's not about the tech, it's about the people, it's about the culture, it's about the ways of working or the ways of fighting and operating that, that really count. Um, I guess pretty much every buzzword that's out there um, is, is relevant. Uh, you know, there's a lot of focus on artificial intelligence at the moment and, and all machine learning. Um, I, I guess in due course, we will probably have other buzzwords that look at even more powerful ways of computing, um, even more powerful ways of solving problems, and, you know, even greater degrees of autonomy um, from our virtual machines. Uh, I suppose because I'm a, a exploitation adoption um, focused person, I've got a particular interest in synthetics and visualization tools. I think, and you know, part of the challenge is making it easier for human beings to interact with their data, and a lot of that comes to visualization, um, seeing both the physical world and the virtual world, and understanding sort of cognitive impacts and being able to see that and interact with it to get all of your senses involved. So uh, those sorts of technologies are, p are particularly interesting. Um, but, but broadly speaking, I, I'm far more interested in how different technologies meet and they're on the interface where they come together. It's where you're using two or three or four different technologies in a fundamentally new way. That's, that's where the game changes really happen for me rather than single technologies against single problem sets. So you've mentioned uh, culture a couple of times. Um, do you feel there's more um, more we could be doing there? Do you think uh, you know what what are the big challenges you see in in, in that, or, or where do you see the strengths in a um, in a in a closely knitted culture within defence? Yeah, so I think um, and there's that old phrase, you know, your greatest strengths are always your greatest weaknesses. We have you know so much to celebrate, both nationally in the UK, you know, our strong sort of entrepreneurial spirit, a really good digital base. Um, th there is so much opportunity for us to do well digitally. Likewise in defense, you know, we've always taken technology seriously in defense, particularly where it gives us operational advantage. And if you look back at, you know, previous sale to steam or coal to oil or horse to tank, you know, those big inflection points of, of history uh, in the military world, we have been either early adopters or, or or leaders in all of those cases. So, you know, we have been here before in, in UK defence, and I think we we can be again. Um, 
having said that though when i first got involved in this space and uh, you know talking to various consultants around the, the bazaars the phrase they kept on using with me was, was tom you must remember you're not building on a greenfield site here and and i pretty soon found i had to remind them that i was acutely aware that it wasn't a greenfield site but but we're not a brownfield site either in fact we're a grade one listed building you know as i mentioned earlier we're, we're a national treasure you know people people who have never been in the army navy or air force um feel deeply about the character the identity the very being of defense and its component parts and that means that we're not always free just to change our own culture or behavior or even some of our sort of external artifacts and sacraments we're not free to change them because a lot of people are deeply emotionally invested in those behaviors those cultures those those external emblems and sometimes that can slow us down um and and that you know that's a challenge that again we share with lots of large organizations but it it really does mean that we need very powerful leadership very sensible leadership at the top it means we need very empowered um unleashed subordinates at the bottom of the organization to really drive change and be impatient for change and of course like any other large organization it means that the the magic middle those people in the in the middle of the organization need to be encouraged um incentivized to to change and often they are tired they've been working for 10 or 15 or 20 years they're worn out with change they've been promised that there's a golden horizon just around the next corner and they're a bit knackered frankly and getting through to them aligning them on a on a vision um empowering them and making them feel that that it is worth changing and is worth getting amongst a, a new culture that is really really difficult um and it's a really profound challenge that we need to take on if we're to transform to the extent that we want to um so you know culture and behavior is at the heart of all of this as with any change management program uh and it's tough in a national treasure but i i think we've been here before we can do it again so to achieve that you you'll need the, the best of the best in terms of talent um how do you compete with other areas and um, both um you know the mod com competing with defense industry but also wider than that and you know you've mentioned banks and uh and clothing companies etc everybody's fighting for the same uh, limited amount of talent and um, how do you position the organization to to capture the best and brightest in in those specialist areas yeah so it's a it's a huge question and a very apposite question it is arguably the question for every organization that i'm i guess for me the, the first thing we've got to do is recognize how much talent we've already got you know we've got an incredibly engaged committed motivated workforce we really do and that's not just regular soldiers sailors and airmen it's our civil servants it's the contractors we work with it's some of the academics who, who live in the defense space uh, you know, they really care, as, uh, as I was mentioning earlier, you know, they're really emotionally invested in what defense does. Um, so we've got a lot of talent already. Sometimes, you know, in some areas we need to develop that talent much better. And of course, there are new skill sets that aren't, that haven't been part of our fabric in the past. And we need to take that raw talent and upskill it to, to get the most out of it. But I think 
it's easy to forget just how much talent we've already got sitting in defence. And it's interesting, you know, as an infantryman, I, I now find, you know, there are people who join as riflemen in the army who are in their bedrooms at night, in their blocks, doing some really clever little coding projects because they're passionate about digital. And whilst they're very happy being a rifleman and crawling around um, with, with a rifle uh, and define themselves as soldiers in that way, they have these other talents too. And we need to find a way to unleash those talents so that they can be a soldier, they can be a rifleman, but also unleash some of those digital skills to make them an even better rifleman um, and to learn to fight in a different way. So, so that's the first thing. I think we've got a hell of a lot of talent in defense already. And we've got to be much better upskilling it and much better empowering and unleashing that talent. Um, to your wider point, though, about getting talent in, I think sometimes we underestimate just how attractive we are, really based on the problems that we have to fix. And uh, my experience as a, you know, I'd say I'm not a digital person by, by birth or background or education. You know, I'm an English literature dude. But, but what I notice about digital people, whether they're engineers or coders or designers or user researchers, they love problems. They're really turned on by problems. And in national security in the round, but, but in defense in particular, we've got some of the most fascinating problems you could, you could have. And, you know, whether that's a sort of defensive cyber challenge, whether that's a strategic national security problem, whether it's an intelligence analysis problem of getting after our adversaries. You know, we've got really, really interesting problems to go after. And digital people love being set really difficult challenges. So I think we need to be more confident in, let's call it sex appeal, certainly our attract um, to those people. Now, clearly, we are not going to pay the sort of money that some banks or civilian industries can afford to pay. But I think provided we can pay people a good enough wage, we will be able to attract the talent we need um, based on the based on the really interesting problems we have to solve. And I think the third bit to, to that is, you know, we are, we've been talking about a whole force approach for quite a long time now. I think the whole force approach is really starting to get traction across defense and people recognizing that we don't need all of our talent to be full-time. Some of it can be part-time, some of it can buy in um, from industry. Some of it we will get from academia by I know, for instance, releasing some of our data sets to academia, people come and work on those problems, frankly, for free as they do their own academic research, but we'll get the benefit just as they get the benefit. So there's all sorts of different ways to access talent within that whole force approach. So I think, um, you know, I'm very, I'm very positive, very optimistic about getting hold of talent. I would say, though, going back to culture and behavior, um, all of those things I've just said are different. Um, you know, from, from what our, our recent tradition has been. I, I stress tradition, not value, but our traditions have not been there recently. And I think we need to look very carefully at our own processes and make it much easier to access and develop and upskill the talent that we have, as well as to get it in from outside. 
So I noticed, um, I listened to the CDS's speech, uh, Chief of Defence Staff spoke um, as part of his Rusi speech, um, and one thing he referenced was the pervasiveness of information and the pace of technical uh, technological change transform, uh, transforming the character of warfare. Um, I just wondered, listening to that, did, do you feel that's um, particularly acute to a certain domain? Do you feel that um, applies equally across the domains? Um, I'm just wondering if you see there is a, um, an area that you, you feel is uh, ripe for disruption in defence. Sure. I think it's different across each domain. Um, you know, for, for land, which is my background, where people tend to live, um, the pervasiveness of information, the democratization of information technologies, the, you know, wide availability of capabilities that until quite recently would have been seen as the preserve of not just states, but really quite advanced states suddenly that's available to consumers all over the place that um and its effect on people its effect on their their agency as political um individuals um its effect on their ability to fight as we've seen in iraq and syria um that's having a very profound effect on the land domain in particular because that's where sort of the fight is amongst and about the people I think it's slightly different in the air and maritime realms where the the populace is sort of slightly removed from the fight, not not totally removed, but slightly removed from the fight. Um, you know, in the air domain, it's all about speed. It's all about sort of Colonel Boyd's loop um, and getting inside other people's decision cycles to, to me. But that's, you know, that's a major disruption that, that information is happening. Um, maritime, it, it's probably a bit of all of that. But it's also, you know, time is different in the maritime realm than it is, for instance, in air or land. And therefore, how information um, bears upon that fight, I think, is different. Um, of course, the two interesting um, areas are the what I described earlier as the new kids on the block, um, cyber and space. And of course, both cyber and space are so uh, intrinsically interwoven with the information environment. One, because cyber as a domain is the space in which much of that data moves and space because in large amounts, you know, we we maneuver in space at the moment to enable the information environment. Um, it's about moving data around or about gathering data by by means of surveillance. Um, so so there, I think the democratization of information it's very uh, it's very much part of those domains and i think defense is thinking on um those domains as war fighting domains is still quite nascent and we're still developing our thinking uh, about how we fight and operate in those two domains Thank you very much. Um, so just looking outside of your day job, I, I read you've joined the board of uh, Heropreneurs. Um, would you like to tell us more about uh, what they do? Yeah, Heropreneurs are a great charity who provide mentoring, free mentoring for veteran or spouse based uh, businesses. So if you're a if you're a veteran or if your spouse has a, a business, we find um, they're all unpaid uh, mentors, people who have either worked in that industry or who can bring some value to how you uh, run your business. And we provide those mentors completely free of charge uh, to help people get their business going. You know, we, we, we don't do startup loans or anything like that. You've got to have a business running, but it's probably quite a small business. You need a business plan. 
Um, but then it's about taking that business to the next level and really speeding up, accelerating people's learning about how they run a business, the skill sets they need, the, the poo traps you can fall into. Um, and in some cases, the mentoring is really just a shoulder to lean on because you know running a small business is is a full body workout. You know, it's a it's a deeply emotional, physically wearing and tiring business. And sometimes they just need somebody to to, to share the pain with and discuss it with. Um, but sometimes there are absolute relevant skills that they need to get from the mentors. So that's really what Heropreneurs does. It, uh, it it allows veteran entrepreneurs to get up and running. Tom, thank you very much. That was that was, that was really good. Thank you. Thanks. Okay.